all over this, this Sunday. Churches are talking about Easter everywhere. I mean, all over the, all over the globe, people are talking about it. But I, I want to take kind of a little bit of a different look at it this morning, just a little bit of a different crack at it. And maybe you guys who saw that video, you'd understand this. Um, moms or dads or maybe people who have younger brothers or sisters, right? You guys have experienced this with kids. They reach this age where all of a sudden they have a million questions and they just begin to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And it really doesn't matter what you say. They're going to ask a question based off of what you just said, aren't they? And even to the point where, as in the video that we referenced, where as a parent you might just say, just because. But that's still not good enough for a kid, is it? They'll say, well, because why? Because why? Because isn't a good enough answer. And it brings about this, this uh, interesting, like, in- interrogative, like, there has to be an answer to this, to this, this situation. And that's what I want to talk about this morning um, with, this, with this Easter services. I don't just want to give you a good story. There's, there is a great Easter story here in the Bible. And, and a lot of people would, would just share that. And, and I do want to do that. But I want to talk about the why as well. It seems more than ever in our culture, we're concerned about the why. Our culture is asking questions, it seems like, more than ever, that just simply stating something isn't good enough. They say, well, then, but why? Why are you saying that? Why is that important? And those questions come about. So that's my idea this morning is what I want to communicate to you is this idea of of Easter. What I want to take a look at is this. Why is this applicable? Why does it matter to you? Why is it that this is something that you should be interested in this morning? Why is it that it has some sort of relevance to your life, not just, hey, that's a cool story? And the reality is maybe you've heard these stories many times. But maybe you'll see something in them you haven't before because you're like, yeah, I never thought about what that, what that actually meant and give you that opportunity uh, during this. So the story is um, we're going to read from is Matthew 28. If you had your Bible and you wanted to go there, we're going to read from Matthew 28, starting in verse 10. But the backstory, excuse me, starting in one, verse 1 through 10. Um, the backstory of this is, is Jesus' life. And some of you guys might know it, some of you guys might not. But Jesus was uh, born and raised uh, over in Jerusalem in that area. And, and about the time he was 30 years old, he started teaching. He started going around teaching and healing people. And by about the time he was 33, he was betrayed by one of his close uh, 12 disciples. And he was tried, found guilty basically for heresy, but it was, it was really just because the people were shouting loud enough that uh, the guy who's in charge, Pontius Pilate, he just didn't want to make the crowd mad against him, so he decided to, to crucify Jesus. And uh, Jesus was crucified on a cross, um, one of the most terrible deaths ever uh, thought of. He was buried in uh, a grave, basically. Some, some would basically say it's more like a cave if you actually want to think about what it is. And he was, he was put there. But this is where the story kind of gets interesting because it says three days later, and to give you that reference because I know you're just like me, when I read this, or if you've been thinking, right, you think Good Friday to Easter Sunday. That's not three days, right? You're like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's two days. That's not three days. Well, they keep track of time a little bit different back in this day because they didn't work on a watch where they're like, you're 15 minutes late. You know, they're using the sun. So they considered that he was put in on Friday, there all day on Saturday, and on Sunday, this is when the story takes place. So three days, basically, is what they would reference. And it starts in, in Matthew 28, verse 1. It says this. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. That's where Jesus was. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. 
Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very, uh, they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. Yeah, that should be like a woe moment, right? It's not just like reading it and all of a sudden like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus was dead for three days. All of a sudden, boom, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and there uh, they will see me. Man, this is a story of, of what people would know as, as the resurrection. Man, this is the Easter Sunday story of, of them going to find the body of Jesus and instead he was alive. And that's awesome. Around the world, like I said, this, this message is being taught. But my question is, is but why? why? Why is this? What does it mean? What, what are the implications of this? And they're viable questions. They're viable questions. In some churches, maybe they'd think, well, why are you asking the why questions? Just good enough. It's a good story, right? But that's not who I want to be. I, I want us to, to look at that because those why questions you might have in your heart, they're actually great. There's nothing wrong with asking those, those why questions about this story. And I'd love to talk to you about them for just a few minutes. First of all, people say, well, you know, why do we believe this? Why do we think that this is true? You know, there's this book, but, but how is it that we believe that this story is actually true? Or is this just awesome false celebration that was just dreamed up by somebody? Maybe this is all just a bunch of bunk. This isn't true. But I want to I approach that from the reality of, of history. Believe it or not, when it comes to the Easter celebration, history is actually quite convinced on what happened. As far as history is concerned, it is very clear that a man named Jesus lived. Very clear. It is very clear as well that he was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a grave, and then that grave became empty. Historically speaking, if you talk to historians, almost no one would debate that fact. There is tons of evidence. A man named Jesus lived, he was crucified, buried, and all of a sudden, the tomb became empty. History stands on this. Obviously, the Bible tells this story very clear. People will say, well, you can't trust the Bible. That's written about it. And that's, well, actually, believe it or not, the Bible is one of the most trustworthy ancient texts. According to all different comparisons of texts written at this time, the Bible is actually one of the most historically accurate ones created. So that's kind of cool, right? But even if you say, uh, you can't trust the Bible, because the Bible is this story. It, it, it's supposed to be about Christians, and it would, it would be biased of some sort. Well, then that's fine. Then let's take a step back from that. Because believe it or not, multiple historians of this day share the exact same information. Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Josephus, just a few of the name who were born almost at the exact same time as Jesus, and they wrote historical books. And all of them made mention of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, believe it or not. Josephus, this is one of the most awesome ones. This is written by a dude who wasn't a Christian. He was a historian. And he writes in Jewish Antiquities, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at, the, at first did not forsake him, 
For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct at this day. It's a historian who was watching this from the outside. And he said, man, he says, the, the, all these people, all of a sudden, man, they became really focused. And they said this guy appeared back to him. And he said, these people who should have been scattered after he died, he says, they're still alive to this day. Can't get rid of them, basically. The Jewish text at this day as well, too. The Jewish people, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So right away, they were scared of the idea that people would call him the Messiah. So they had to come up with an idea of how it's not. And the Jewish people in, the, in that culture immediately said someone had stolen the body. And that was what they created as the, as the idea for it. They said someone stole the body. It wasn't that he resurrected. But, but, listen, it still proves that all the people who didn't believe in Jesus, it was fact that the body was gone, Right? I mean, the Jews of that day who didn't believe in Jesus wrote down and talked about the fact that it was, it was stolen and it was this. <clears throat> well, that proves that the body was missing, wasn't it? They were trying to come up with a reason why, and they were trying to write it. So this is written by people who weren't on Christ's side, and they were confessing, yes, Jesus lived, he died, and the grave went empty. Now, how that is, man, who knows? But see, history is actually really, really clear on that part. But then where it comes into is people saying, but but did he, did he come back to life? What's the situation with that? And when you talk about it, there are objections to the story, the idea that Jesus could come back to life, obviously, right? But what's funny is, is a lot of the objections are actually extremely weak, very weak. They'll say stuff like this, but Jesus didn't die. He didn't actually die. And that's foolhardy, if I can say so myself. I mean, it says in, in the, the story, people who were with him said the night before that he was literally sweating blood. And this is actually a real term called hematohydrosis, which is so much stress in your body that the blood vessels under your skin begin to break and you begin to sweat blood. The man was experiencing tremendous pressure. He was tried and then he was flogged. And flogging was, was such a terrible experience that most people never even made it to the cross. They would die at flogging. It was uh, uh, strips of leather that had bone and glass tied to it. And they said that oftentimes during the flogging that the muscle, the bones, and even the organs were laid bare during the flogging. It, most people didn't even make it past that. I mean, let alone get to the place of crucifixion. And that's where the story really gets crazy and almost uh, just unbelievable because crucifixion, is the most horrific uh, death that, that people could ever imagine. Still, people today would admit, say, that's probably still one of the most uh, vile and, and torturous deaths that were ever created. Um, the person was actually uh, laid down on a cross. There were nails driven through their, their hands, and they would actually drive right through what was called the nerve, like the radial nerve in your arm, so that it was a constant sensation of pain, also through your feet. And then they were hoisted up naked to hang by these these basically these posts, these nails, through their hands and through their feet, and to just die by hanging there, through the pain, through the, the heat, and through the sun. And believe it or not, actually most people who died on the cross, they didn't even die from, from blood loss. They actually died from asphyxiation. And the reason why is because when they slump down, your body um, can't actually breathe in when it's being hung by its arms. So you have to pull down on the post through your hands to be able to get another breath. And it was this horrific... Um, long trial of take a breath and collapse under the pain. Take a breath and collapse under the pain for hours and hours. And it's just a tremendously painful, painful death. Well, the, the Bible makes clear by people who are outsiders watching this that Jesus did die on this cross. Um, 
Historically, we would know it's true. When people wouldn't die fast enough on the cross, they would come and break their legs, and it would stop them from being able to stand up, and they would die quickly. It said that the people came by to check, and Jesus was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. He was already dead. As well, too, they actually took and thrust a spear through his side into his heart to make sure that he was dead. That's pretty unnegatable. In fact, the Bible even says that both water and blood flowed from the wound. And they just wrote what they saw, but that is actually a clear indicator that Jesus was experiencing heart failure. The sack around his heart had filled with blood through all the stress and all the turmoil, and he was actually experiencing heart failure, and puncturing his heart let out blood and water. It's a really clear indicator. Man, Jesus, he he was dead. They took him from the cross. They wrapped him in over a hundred pounds of grave clothes put him in a crypt in the cold for 36 hours with no medical attention. The idea that Jesus didn't die seems so far-fetched to me. I mean, the, the men who were doing this in this time, these Roman soldiers, they were good at their job, okay? They knew what they were doing. They understood how to kill people. And, and they would have done it. The idea that he didn't die, is, is, it seems pretty ludicrous to me, to be honest with you. And people will say, well, he died, but then the body was stolen. The body was taken. It wasn't that Jesus came back. Well, there's a few things. First of all, none of his enemies would have stolen the body because all his enemies wanted him dead. He said he was going to come back. So the enemies did not want him to come back to life. So people will say, well, maybe the, the people, the Roman soldiers and that stole him. That's not likely at all because they wanted him dead. They did not want him to come back to life. So that couldn't be the case. As well, too, they actually stationed guards in front of the tomb to make sure nobody could come and steal the body. They put this huge rock in front of it. Then they stationed guards there to make sure let nobody come and steal this body. Well, this big rock and the guards would have to lead to the fact that if someone was going to steal the body, it's not like one or two people. You would have to have an entire team of people to come and move this rock and haul away the body, and it would take a, a large number of people. And people would say, well, that makes sense. It was the disciples. The 12 of them, the people who followed him, they came and they, they stole the body. Well, first of all, you'd also have to um, bring in the fact that they would have had to get into some sort of kung fu match with all of the guards and somehow beat all of them, which a bunch of fishermen, because that's what most of them were, fishermen and tax collectors, beating a bunch of Roman soldiers who were armed with teeth. That seems pretty impossible. But then they stole the body. But, but the problem with this, this is where, where it comes into it, is you have to put yourself back in that perspective of, so if this happened, what did the, the disciples, what did they gain? What did they gain from this? Did they really gain fame? No. The disciples were punished, and they were tortured. Eleven of the twelve disciples, well, ten of the eleven that were left after Judas left, were martyred for their faith. They were tortured and killed for their faith. Do you really believe that eleven men who, who stole this body to try to promote some sort, of, some sort of, of new agenda of Jesus, do you think that they would willingly walk to their torture and death and not say, hey, wait a second, wait a second, no, this, this wasn't true. This wasn't true. Because, I mean, like after the first one got killed and the second one got killed and the third one, by the time you think you get to about the 10th person, don't you think they'd say, hey, it was all a joke. I can show you the, bo- I can show you the body. I-, I don't need to die for this too. And all these men actually died. They died for their faith except John, who was actually tortured, and he lived. And even if this, this, this was true, maybe even you say, these guys were just crazy, which I'd have something to say against that, it still doesn't account for the fact that tons and tons of people saw Jesus. They saw Jesus after this. After this day, people began to see him. People say, well, there's one thought you didn't think of. It's his twin brother. 
It's his twin brother. Jesus had a twin brother. He never told anyone about it. This whole time he was keeping them behind and it was like that movie. You remember the one with the magicians and all of a sudden there was a twin and you're like, whoa, right? If you guys haven't seen The Prestige, you don't know what the reference is, but you should see it. But they'll say, well, you know, it, it was a twin brother and he walked out and all people were like, oh, he resurrected. A few things. One, the body still would have had to be stolen, which means the disciples would have still had to die for a lie, right? Which makes that pretty unrealistic. But the thing that really makes this seem impossible is this. Jesus's mom and two brothers believed that he had resurrected and called him the Lord. James and Jude, his half-brothers, who wrote, wrote books in the New Testament, believed then that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, they would know if there's a twin brother, wouldn't they? I mean, they were his brothers. She was his mother. They would have known if there was a twin, and they wouldn't have been fooled by this. They would have understood it. And before, they thought that Jesus was a lunatic, but all of a sudden, you see his mom and his brothers say, he's the Lord. What changed? What changed? Maybe they saw him come back to life and prove what he had said. Not only are the objections weak, but believe it or not, the evidence is actually quite strong. So you think, man, how could we possibly believe that this story sounds so far-fetched? But the evidence is actually really strong if you take a look at it from a, just a perspective of saying, could this be true? A lot of people saw him. A lot of people. The Bible makes reference that the, the first people who found him were women. And historians actually say that's a great indicator that the story's true. Because if someone was making it up, there's no way they would have let women find him first because women's uh, testimony was actually considered never even applicable, that they would only let men give testimony. So they said if someone would falsify this, the first thing they would have done was have a good upstanding citizen see Jesus and say that he was alive. But instead it was two women. And they said this lends itself to believe that this story was just written the way it happened. And in fact, Jesus actually appeared to multiple people. He, just, he appeared to the disciples at least three times. Believe it or not, you guys might even not know this, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Over 500 people. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. Paul is talking about an experience that happened with people. And he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Jesus appeared for uh, over a course of almost 40 days. That's what the Bible shows. That after he raised from back from the dead, it wasn't like he just talked to two or three people and was like, peace, and he disappeared. And people were like, oh, maybe they were just crazy. For 40 days, he continued to appear to his disciples in different things. One time to over 500 people, who he says, they're still alive. You could go and talk to them. That's basically what he's writing, right? Go and talk to them. They saw Jesus together. He showed up. And this shows the fact that this couldn't just be some sort of hallucination. I mean, they don't make weed good enough for 500 people to all see the same person, okay? Doesn't happen. We aren't up in, in upstate uh, Washington yet where it's legalized anyway. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about the fact that this is just a crazy experience. And the, the idea people say, well, it's a hallucination, it doesn't make sense because everyone saw the same man. Over and over and over again, they saw the same man. It lends itself to believe this couldn't just be a hallucination. It also stops after 40 days. People who have hallucinations and daydreams, they continue to do it for years and years, most likely. But not just that. We see something happen on this day. We see something happen. 
all of a sudden these disciples who were so scared and were so broken because all of a sudden their leader was gone, they became instantly just strong. Something changed in them. All of a sudden they were scattered and and fearful and then all of a sudden they stood up and they seemed like they were empowered. They began to preach and they stood up for their faith. It was almost as if they had seen the man who told them that this was going to happen come back to life. They began to preach and believe that Jesus was equal to God. These men were Jewish men. They understood the law. And they would have understood that to place Jesus in equality with God would have been the biggest sin condemnable by an eternity of suffering. And they did it confidently. Something must have jarred their senses to believe he's God. Not only that, but like I said, they, they were steadfast in their faith. And they faced their death and refused to turn away from it. People said, man, these men were just deluded. They were crazy. They were bad men. They were liars. But if you look at these men's life, I would say that you'd be crazy to even say that about them. These men devoted their entire lives to helping the sick, to feeding the poor, to helping people who didn't have moms and dads, to helping the widows. And you're saying that men who, who gave their entire lives not for self-profit, but for, but for love, that they were some sort of masterminds. It doesn't sync up when you look at it. Something else happened too. This small, crazy little follower of Christians, it exploded. It exploded. All of a sudden, Jesus was talked about as equal to God and this, this, this rush of experience began to happen. It exploded on earth today, the biggest faith on earth. It began to spread like wildfire. Man, worship, worship changed. This is huge. We celebrate on Sundays, right? This is the Lord's Day, right? You've heard that term, Sunday, the Lord's Day. Up until that day, it was always Saturdays. Saturdays was the day of celebration for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, they changed it to Sunday. Something significant must have happened for them to change what they believed their holy day was. I mean, so much so they believed that if you did too much on that day, you were breaking the Sabbath and you were condemned by God. And they changed it to Sunday. Something miraculous must have happened. But even more than this, check this out. There are four world religions that are created by a founder. Four big world religions that are created by a founder. There's the Jewish faith, which people still every single year will go and visit the grave of the founder, Abraham. It's been enshrined. There's the Buddhist faith, and every single year, thousands, thousands upon thousands will go and visit the grave of Buddha. There's the Islamic faith, and millions of people travel to Mecca in order to see the grave of their leader, Muhammad. There's no grave enshrined for Jesus. He was the founder of this amazing religion, right? This amazing belief And if he would have stayed there, someone would have said, we're going to go and we're going to see this place where he died. But the grave was long forgotten. There's places where they think Jesus was at, but there's no enshrined grave. Because he wasn't there, the body disappeared because Jesus rose from the dead. We serve the one world religion that was instituted by a man, a person, and there is no grave for him because he is still alive. That is miraculous. Now, why is this important? This whole story, right? Man, you know, Jesus came back to life. Why does it mean something? Because even if that, you say, man, that's kind of convincing. That could be real. Wow. Why does it matter to you? What would it, what would it change? Well, the cool thing about this is, is this one event does so much. First of all, it, it proves that the Old Testament promises of God are true. In the Old Testament, they talked about this person coming, Jesus, the Messiah. Between 300 and 400 prophecies 
about Jesus were fulfilled during his life. That's pretty miraculous. People who understand the Bible better than I do would just be bowled over. But I can read that and understand 300 to 400 different things. Isaiah 53, 8 through 9 says this, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for our rebellion, uh, for the rebellion, excuse me, of my people. He, was, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. Look at this. He was put in a rich man's grave. There are details that were written hundreds and hundreds of years earlier about Jesus that were fulfilled that there's no way. Jesus couldn't plan the fact that he was going to get put in a rich man's grave, that someone would come by and do that for him. And there are words that were bring back all the way from the Old Testament that were proved true by Jesus' life where people go, wow, maybe this is real. Not only that, but this event of his resurrection, it proves that the words of Jesus are true. In, in Mark 10, 33 through 34, he says this to his disciples. They're going up to Jerusalem. He says, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, and that's his name for himself, he says, will be, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Man, I mean, this is like, Jesus had been teaching these guys and telling them stuff and, 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 you know, commanding them things and stuff. But this is like the huge, like, make it or break it moment, right? Jesus says, we're going to go. I'm going to be betrayed, beaten and killed, buried. But three days later, you're going to see me again. I mean, this is one that you can't just, like, falsify and be like, oh, I, I didn't mean that, right? I mean, this is like a huge, huge promise. And Jesus delivers on it to prove that these words that he said to him were true. But see, what's cool is it doesn't just mean that those words are true. What it means then is that we can trust all of Jesus' words. It means that all of the words Jesus had spoken are now trustworthy and true. He proved something that was almost impossible to prove, and he says, I can do it. So if he said that, and he made it good, made good on that promise, that these other things he can do as well. There's one time in Matthew 26, 63-64, this is right before he was going to be crucified. And the, the high priest, he says to him, I demand the name of the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man himself seated in the place of honor at God's right hand and coming down from the clouds of heaven. He says, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, I'm the Son of God. I am the Son of God. In John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the only way that you can get back to that right relationship with our Father God. If Jesus said, I'm going to come back from the dead, and he proved it true, we can trust all of these words. Meaning we can trust the fact Jesus really was the Son of God. Jesus really is the only way back to the Father. He proves all of his words true. And last and certainly not least, though, what it does for us, people who begin to believe in Jesus, it gives us a confidence in our heart that what he said about us, about eternal life, is trustworthy and true. That what he said about us is trustworthy and true. He said that Christians, people who follow Jesus, people who follow after the Lord God, that they will live forever, that they will defeat death, that after this death, there's another life that we go into. And if we were to believe this, if it was said by a man who died and never came back, we'd be fools, right? Right? I mean, if someone said, don't worry, when you die, 
you're not going to die forever. You're going to come back to life. And then he just died, and you're like, did it work? I don't know. I don't know if it worked. And Jesus proved true that when he died, he come back from life, and he said, this is how it will happen. I have beaten death. Just as I died and I came back, it is proof that the same power can be given to you. That promise I made to you that after this life there's another is true because I hold the keys to death. I can come back from death and I can grant you the exact same thing. In 1 Corinthians uh, 15, is Paul talking again. He says this to the, to the Corinthians at the time. And I love Paul, sometimes the way he worded things is just so great because he, he talks so um, forcefully And it's just terrific in this letter. In 1 Corinthians uh, 15, starting in verse 14, he says, And if Christ, uh, excuse me, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. That's pretty harsh words, right? We apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into this world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. See, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. He says, man, this is it. This is, the, this is the linchpin of all of our belief. He says, if this isn't true, nothing is true. People say, is the resurrection important? If the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is a sham and we should all just go home. That's the truth. He said, resurrection is the centerpiece of our belief that Christ proved that he beat death, that he conquered it, and that then that promise can be delivered to us. It changes, man, everything. The wrath of God has been poured out, that all of our sin has been paid for. Now, of course, that's a great story. That's a great story. But still, you might be saying, but how does that affect me? How does that actually apply to to my life? What does that mean? Well, here's how how it really goes down. The subject matter of the resurrection leaves no room for neutrality. I'll say that again. The subject matter of the resurrection leaves no room for neutrality. What I mean is this. The implications of the resurrection are so cataclysmically world-shaking that if they're true, it changes everything, and if they're not true, it changes everything. That you can't simply just say, ah, I don't know. Because if it's true, it will change your entire life. C.S. Lewis said this one time, great writer. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. If you can take a look at the evidence, if you can take a look at, at, at what you see around you, if you can take a look at everything you've experienced, and if you can honestly say, you know what, I know 100%, 100%, Jesus didn't come back to life. Jesus didn't come back to life. And that's okay, you can walk out. 
But if you aren't 100% sure that Jesus never got out of that grave, that he never walked again, then you can't simply just walk away because the implications of that truth are far too grand. You owe it to yourself to do a little more research. You owe it to yourself to do a little more digging. You owe it to yourself to avail yourself a few more times to experiencing and seeing if this could be true. You can't walk away passively. The second thing is this, that if this is true, it means it's not too late. It means it's not too late. Wherever you are, wherever you sit, for whatever family member you might have in your mind, for you, whoever it is, it's not too late. The truth is then that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, that means that we're still available to be able to to start a relationship with him. That we're still available to be able to experience him. You know, when I was giving you all those evidences about how Jesus was alive, I actually left out probably the most important one. And what it is is that there are people around you who've experienced him. You know, to borrow an illustration from a pastor I love, he said, um, talking about his wife, and I could do the same with mine. If, if I was to step back before I ever met my wife, Amy, and if I was to find a book about her, almost like, say, the Bible, right? And it was all just about my wife. And if I was to read through it, I could read chapters about how great of a person she was, how great of a cook she was, how nice of a lady she was. Man, you know, I, I could read about this girl, and I could say, wow, I, I think... I think she sounds pretty cool. Man, this girl seems awesome. But see, if you ask me about who Amy was, I could, I could reference facts, but what I can reference is experience. After being married to her for almost a year, knowing her for years, I can tell you I've experienced how awesome of a lady she is. I know how good of a girl she is. I know her heart, how much she loves. And see, that's the biggest fact I didn't even share with you, is that there are people around with you, myself included, who've experienced Jesus a relationship with a living God, where if you say, how do you know he's real? I say, man, I felt him. He's answered things in my life. There's been times that I felt so close to him, and he's, he's done things that there are no way, these coincidences that are far too miraculous to not be true. One of the biggest evidences is that he is still working in people's lives today, that he is still alive. And if Jesus is still alive, that means that we can still start a relationship with him that people's lives can still change. It's not too late. We still have time. It says this in Romans uh, 3, 21 through 26. It says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And that meant back in the day, that's how you were good with God, as you kept requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. Listen to this. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. Listen to this last sentence. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. If Jesus was dead, that would be really, really bad news. 
Because you'd say, well, he only declares people right when they believe and they put their trust in Jesus, but he's dead and he's gone. But see, the amazing thing is, is Jesus is still alive. And he says, those who put their trust and their faith in Jesus, that they can be made right with God. That's the salvation explanation, if you wondered. If you always think about it, is the, the story goes that, that we were broken and we were, we were disconnected from God by our sin. The Bible says that, that when Adam and Eve were created, they were in perfect unity with God, and then that they, they, they disobeyed him. And what it did is it created this, this big rift between God and him because God can't be part of sin. And what it did is created this whole lineage that's birthed through us, that all of us are bur- born with this, this innate drive to sin and turn away from God. But it says that God in his greatness, that he found the loophole in sending his son, he died to pay for our sins so that we could be made free from them. That he paid the debt of all of our sin that would keep us apart from God. And that just as Jesus rose from the dead, that if we put our faith in him, just as it says, that we are declared right in his sight when we believe in Jesus. You can step back into a right relationship with Jesus. This day, it's still not too late. There's one time that Paul was, um, was teaching in Athens, in Acts 17. And he taught about Jesus. He had, they had these, these different altars, and one of them was to a nameless God. And he says, let me tell you about this nameless God. His name is Jesus. And he said, he's the Son of God. He is the Lord. And he explained all of it to these people about what it means. And it says that people responded in three ways. And I want to issue this this morning to us as well. Three different ways they responded. The first was that some just laughed in contempt. Some just laughed. And if that's you this morning, that's fine. That's okay. If you just say, no, I don't, I don't believe that. You know what? That, that's, that's fine. You are always welcome to come here and explore your faith. Always. Some said, you know what? I, I don't know yet. But I want to hear more about this later. I want to hear more about this later. He said, can we come back and can we talk about this a second time? And if that's you, that's terrific. I want to invite you back. The next two weeks, we're going to continue to talk about this because you know what happens when you talk about something like this? This opens a whole other set of questions, doesn't it? Well, why did Jesus really, he come here and he died? Why did he have to actually die? Was that not, why was this? Why is this? And I'd love to talk more about that these next two weeks as we, we talk more about these, these situations. If it's you say, man, I'm not sure yet, but I'd like to hear more about this. Please come back and join us as we continue. But it says some just believed. Some heard about Jesus, and as soon as they heard it, something changed in their heart, and they said, that's what I need. That's the God that I've been seeking my entire life. He's the one that I've been feeling, this whole, this emptiness in my heart. And I can feel when you talk about him, that's what aches. That was something that I'm supposed to have. Some believed. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond one of these three ways. If you just bow your heads with me, just to give opportunity to whoever else, that we're not looking around. We give everyone the fair right to be able to just, them and God. And what I want to offer today is, is if this morning, the, the, this message, it made sense, and you say, you know what, I, I want this relationship with Jesus. This made sense to me. I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to get back into right relationship with him, that I want to be declared righteous with God. If that's you, that's who you are, no one's looking around, just raise your hand right now so I can see you. Just raise your hand above your head, and I'd love to know if that's the case. Yeah, I see you back there, sir. Anyone else just say, yeah, that, that's me. I need that relationship with Jesus. Let's just pray together right now, okay? Just for him, he can say it in his, in his heart. Let's all say this out loud together just as a, as, a, as a church. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. For all the rest of you guys, man, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to encourage all of you guys, man, come back next week as we continue Because Why. Have a, just a terrific Easter, a celebration of resurrection. Thank you, guys.